Well, good morning. Is everybody doing all right? Okay, I don't believe you. Is everybody doing all right? Yes. Good. I'm glad you're doing all right. How many of you have mowed your yard? Looking back? Yeah. Okay. I mowed mine for the first time Saturday in between rain showers. Have you noticed that you have to plan that in between like the rain showers? So we're going to have a special business meeting this evening, um, about five o'clock. My um, suggestion to the church is that we raise money to build an ark, <laughs> just, just in case. Just go ahead and do that, just in case it has rained enough, yeah. So my little push mower is a Honda. <laughs> it, it took a little while to, to mow yesterday, but finally, finally got the grass down where it needed to be. So, you know, a lot of people love spring, but, you know, that's when you have to start mowing the grass and spraying the weeds and doing work outside so, and trying to keep your eyes from watering. Does anybody else's eyes water when you mow? I used to think it was because I was sad for the grass. I, I really didn't think that. <laughs> I really didn't think that. No, really didn't. Yeah. All right. Well, um... We are doing a sermon this morning called Mark Those Elements. So it's, it's not what you think, all right? So let me explain what this is. In every story, whether it's a truthful historical narrative or whether it's a story, there are elements in that story that the author puts in there in order to bring attention to some types of truths. So for instance, um, if you think back when you were a kid, we read stories like The Three Little Pigs, Right? And Little Red Riding Hood, right? Um, an element that is a part of both of those stories is a wolf. And we read these to children. So if you think through the three little pigs, I mean, we go through all three of the houses, and then have you ever read the end of that story? The wolf falls down and gets into a pot, and then the pigs eat the wolf. That would cause nobody any nightmares, of course. And then you have Little Red Riding Hood, and when she shows up at Grandma's house, Grandma's not in the closet. She's been eaten <laughs> by the wolf. So if you imagine, have you ever seen a wolf eat anything? Well, you, there's YouTube. Have you seen a wolf pack attack? Y'all need to look this up on YouTube. When they're done, there is stuff scattered everywhere, right? And in that little picture book, they didn't show grandma scattered. <laughs> they didn't do that, you know. And so there's elements in these stories, and they kind of bring you in, and, and they, they emphasize, you know, different points in that. Well, Scripture's no different, than, but it is different than Little Red Riding Hood and you know, the three little pigs, in that what we're going to see today is absolutely true, okay? So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And we'll begin reading with verse 1. And this is what it says. It 
It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I just want to throw this out just really quick. Two days before the Passover means that the Passover wasn't a day of rest. It, It was a day where you killed a lamb, you ate it that night, and then it represented the exodus from Egypt the next day. So you were on the move, okay? That night, if you know the story from Exodus, if the blood wasn't on the doorpost, the firstborn child was killed, um, uh, Pharaoh woke up and said, leave, and so they left immediately. They did not wait around. So that next day is a day of work. It's not necessarily a, a Sabbath day. However, the first day of unleavened bread, regardless of when it is, is a, is a Sabbath day. So it starts that feast. So you could technically have two days off in a given week if it was the week of unleavened bread. So I believe that the Passover happened and Jesus partaken of Passover and then he was put on the cross. And then the very next day was the first Sabbath for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then right after that was the actual Sabbath, which was the seventh day of the week. That is how you get three days in the tomb, okay? So probably more on that a little bit later, but not in the sermon, but later in Leviticus. But nonetheless, it, it's pretty interesting to think about that. It was two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. So they had the end goal. They wanted to get him. They wanted to kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So these priests had had a problem. When Jesus was in town, there was a big group around him. And because he was doing miracles and because he was teaching and because he was so magnetic, people just were drawn to him. They knew that they could not arrest him in front of the crowds or they wouldn't get away with it. They would have trouble. The second thing that they had an issue with was Once the day was over, Jesus seemingly disappeared and nobody really knew where he was. You know this is true because in Scripture, nobody seems to know where he is at nighttime. So him and his 12 disciples would slip off somewhere and they'd go somewhere and the government didn't have a tracking system that was in outer space and satellite. Oh, come on, that was good. None of them had that. So, so they had no clue where Jesus was. So the priests were trying to arrest him so that they could kill him, but they just couldn't do it. And they were trying to figure out where Jesus was at nighttime. And that was the tension. That was the tension. So if you go to verse 10, it picks up with where verse 2 left off. And it says this, Then Judas Iscariot who was one of the 12, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So he went to betray Jesus, to talk to the priest. And I don't know what the conversation was like, but it was probably something like this. Okay, guys, you want Jesus? I can deliver him to you. How much will you pay me? And they negotiated a deal, how much he would accept so that they would have an inside person so that they would know where Jesus was when he was alone so that they could arrest him and do what they wanted to do with him. So you have these people up here that want to 
arrest Jesus and you have this person down here in verse 10 that says, I will do this for you, give me money. So the central thing here is money. You see, the priest was willing to give someone money to betray him and Judas was willing to take it, willing to take it. So that is, that is the element. Do you know where they got the money to pay Judas? From the temple treasury. That means tithes and offerings were given to the temple and the priest took 30 pieces of silver out of the money that was God's money. Because by the way, it's God's money, right? So they took it out of God's money and they gave it to Judas. This means that God the Father bought a sacrificial lamb for you. Let that sink in. That's amazing. See, in Leviticus, we have, if you're rich, bring this. If you're mid-class, bring this. If you're poor, bring this. Everybody is welcome at the the altar to meet with God. Everybody can come in. Um, There is a way for you to meet God and connect with him. And here, God purchases (laughs) the sacrificial lamb For you, I think that's pretty amazing, actually. Right? It's not amazing. Maybe, maybe it's just me, and I'm good with that. It's amazing. It's it's amazing. Bought that lamb, and so you have this money thing going on. So the priest valued their power and position, and would pay in order to keep it. And Judas loved money. It says in one portion of scripture that he used to take money from the money bag and put it into his pocket. So he loved money. The the priests were upset because they were losing power and Judas was upset because maybe Jesus wasn't bringing in as much money as he used to bring in. And so he just wanted more money. And so in verse one through two, that's what's said. And in verse 10 through 11, it's all about money. And in the center of this betrayal thing is this amazing story of verses three through nine. And this is what it says. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to them indignantly, said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. So they're not just sitting over here going, man, she just wasted a bunch of stuff. No, they didn't do that. They were actually speaking out loud to her and scolding her. She was doing an act of love for Jesus and they were getting on to her for it because it cost a lot of money and that money could have been better spent. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you and whether, whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. 
She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So why in the world did she do this? This this alabaster box of ointment was worth a whole year's wages. And she took it and put it on the head of Jesus. Why did she do this? Well, number one, it's obvious. She loved him, right? She loved him. None of you gave me a Magnum P.I. Ferrari for Christmas. None of you did. None of you. I'm not driving it into the parking lot. I'm not driving it outside of the parking lot. You do not love me that much, and I'm glad you don't, because that would be awkward, be very awkward. But Jesus took the, I mean, not Jesus, this lady took this alabaster box and broke it over the head of Jesus because she loved him. But there's more to the story. You see, this particular instance is not to be confused with Luke chapter 7 where a lady comes in and she breaks an ointment thing and she kisses Jesus's feet and wipes the feet with her hair. It's not to be confused with that. This is a different, different deal. Jesus is in Bethany in the house, according to John chapter 12, of Mary and Martha. And just a few days ago, Mary's brother, Lazarus was raised from the dead. He had been in the grave for four days, four days in the grave. And Jesus came and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Mary has Jesus in her house. She loves him already. And now she's just grateful that her brother is back. And she's like, okay, what do we got? What can I give that can at least come a little bit close to what God has done for me. What is in my house? Martha's over here. She's cooking some fried chicken for Jesus because he was Southern. Right? Jesus wasn't a Northern person. He was Southern. So fried chicken, some, some potatoes, you know, some gravy on the side over here. Right? It was all bone in. I don't really like bone in, but you, you know, Martha, do you how to fix it? Right? Probably soaked it in buttermilk the night before. If you're not soaking your chicken in buttermilk, you're missing out. So Martha's doing this. Mary's over here. How can I do this? And she's like, oh, the best, the most expensive thing I have is this thing of, thing of ointment. And, you know, it's the, same, it's the same ointment that I put on my brother when we buried him. So not only does this have amazing monetary value, it has value because it reminds her of that resurrection because she used this to put him into the grave. So she brings this nard and she dumps it on top of his head because she is ecstatic that Jesus rose her brother from the grave four days later. Oh, it's amazing. There's only one person that wasn't happy about it. You ever thought about this? Think about it. Old Lazarus, he's in heaven, walking around, talking to people he knows, right? He's been there for four days, loving it, 
It's 70 degrees, nobody has to mow their yard, there's no allergies. I mean, he's been praising Jesus and, and just having a good time and all of a sudden, Lazarus come forth and boom, he can't even see. He's wrapped in these clothes and he's like, where am I at? He's feeling of the wall to try to get out and he, and he walks out. Lazarus not too happy that he had to come home. Oh, come on, that's really good. He's the only one not happy about it. But man, she valued Jesus. Mary was one that valued Jesus even earlier. She sat at his feet and listened to him talk. She, she expressed her love for him. She followed him. She loved Jesus, and it was the least that she can do. So let me ask you a question. Do you value Jesus? Do you value Jesus as much as Mary did? Well, Philip, <clears throat> God hasn't taken me to a, you know, to a graveyard, and dirt flies everywhere, and one of my loved ones comes up. You know, one that went, went home a little bit too early that I would like to have had around a little while. He hasn't done that for me. Well, okay, I'll give you that. Let me tell you what he has done for you. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Because you received him as your savior, Jesus resurrected your soul. That's amazing. And not only has Jesus resurrected my soul, he's resurrected the soul of my wife. She's gonna be with me in heaven. Some days I doubt that, but she's really gonna, I'm just kidding. She's really gonna be in heaven, right? And then my children are gonna be there. They've each put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as far as I know, because parents are really the last to know, they're following him with, to the best of their ability. I mean, they're young, but they're following him to the best of their ability. And that's just a blessing. So do we, do we have something of equal value? Absolutely. In fact, I would, I, would, I would say that it's more of a value. You are saved. Your soul is resurrected. Do you value Jesus? You need to. You need to. And you need to value him like Mary did. You see, at the beginning of this, this chapter and you know, right up underneath this story, you have these people that all they want is what they can get from this world. They want to keep their power. They want to keep their prestige. They are jealous of anybody that might um, stand in that position and take some crowds away from them. In the bottom, Judas is like, I need money. I, I just have to have this money. And so they're all about getting stuff from this world. They're all about that. Mary, on the other hand, is all about what she can give to her savior. What, what can I give to him? How can I serve him? How can I show him that I love him? How can I value him? What is God's five love languages? All of them. If you know that book, but I can't get into that right now because I have some other things to say, all right? But all of them, affirmation, worship, service, it's all there. You show that to God and you show your value to God in doing those things. So these people here and here, all three sets of people, groups of people, the group of people of priests, Judas, and Mary, were really doing the same thing. They were preparing Jesus for burial. 
The priest wanted to kill him. Judas wanted to betray him. And Mary was getting him ready to go through all of that. You can choose not to follow God today, but I'm here to tell you, his plan is still going to happen. You're not going to stop his plan. And what you do over here that's negative, he's going to just jumble it together and accomplish his will anyway because he's that big. It's an amazing thing. It's also very gracious and merciful for him to say, hey, if you want to be on my team, you can. If you want to be Mary, you can. If you want to be the priest, you can. If you want to be Judas, you can. It's up to you which side of the fence you decide to live on. So, how in the world do we value Jesus and show him our value? Well, <laughs> number one, don't help his enemies. Don't help his enemies. Judas helped Jesus's enemies. He helped them. They were looking for somebody to betray him. Pick me. I'll betray Jesus. I'll do it. He'll be in the garden a little later this week. Y'all just come on with your, with your army. He was more than willing to betray Jesus. If you want to show value to Jesus, quit betraying him. Quit betraying him with your life. If there is things that you're participating in that promotes other people to sin, you got to stop doing those things. If you're being angry in your home and you're not and you don't want your child to be angry, you need to quit modeling anger. And quit causing quit leading the child into sin. Are, are you tracking? There are things that we do that helps the enemy. If, if you are sinning, if you are, are doing the wrong thing, if you are promoting other people and pushing them that way, you are promoting other people to sin. You are helping God's enemies. See, Judas, I've seen a ton of people like Judas in, in my days, a ton of people like Judas. What they do is, is they betray but they make sure that they're in the background so you don't know it's them. See, Judas was paid and he told the people where to go and the, he never slapped Jesus. He never beat Jesus. He never took up a hammer to hammer him to the cross. He just pressed play and he allowed the um, priest and their soldiers to come and get Jesus and he watched the whole thing. He watched the trials. He watched everything that happened. He just pressed play and caused it to happen. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus says that it would have been better for him not to be born. The best thing that you can do is do not help his enemies. And if there's anything that you are doing to promote sin, for others, you need to stop doing it and quit helping the enemy and help Jesus. The world is quickly going to hell. Quickly. If you do not realize that you have not opened the newspaper, 
And I don't even read the news anymore, but I get notifications on my phone that has like titles of articles and you just know what's going on in the world and it is not godly. And it's those things that we do not promote. We should not be on the side of Christ's enemies. We should be on the side of Christ and champion his cause and champion his grace and champion his mercy and champion his way of living, not the world's. So don't help his enemies, okay? So how can you value Jesus? Here's the next one. It's a picture. This is a Cadbury Oreo egg. Um, I went to Lowe's Food and I was looking for a particular type of egg. Um, Robin has this egg. She's described this egg that she likes to eat. I wasn't shopping for Robin. I was just thinking I would like to try whatever egg she's talking about. And she says that it's a chocolate egg with marshmallow on the inside. I've never heard of that. Katie's never heard of it. Other people have never heard of it, but Robin has. And I thought, well, you know, I I just want to see if it's really good because, I mean, Robin thinks it's good, but that doesn't mean, you know, it's good for me. Right? So I went in there, I was looking for it. I, I, I looked for things, just the little eggs and stuff, couldn't find it. But I ran across this Oreo, you know, chocolate egg, and I was like, man, that just, that just sounds good. Does any of you like Oreo cookies? Right? Like, it's like the filling on the inside of them is like legal crack. You know, you, you eat it and you just can't, you just have to continue. I've never been on crack at all. But I mean, <laughs> I don't want you to think that. I'm just using probably what the best day to say there. But uh, yeah, it's addictive is my point, right? So addictive that we get the Oreo cream pies and I make those and those are really good too. And then, you know, you gain weight and then you have to figure out what to do with it. And, you know, cause that goes straight to the hips. So anyway, I got this and was like, man, this is going to be really good. So I bit into it and oh my goodness, it was awful. And I spit it out in the parking lot of Lowe's food. Don't worry, it was raining. It's washed away now, I'm sure. Some bug ate it or something like that. I didn't, I didn't throw the wrapper down. I didn't litter, but it came out. It was just not going to happen. And um, so I, I put some of my groceries in the car and then I thought, you know what? I'm going to go back in and get the egg that God is obviously eating in heaven. That's right. And I got three of them. That way it was a holy trinity. And I ate each one of them and oh my goodness, it was good. The chocolate just melts in your mouth and the the, uh, peanut butter just combines with it. And my mouth is absolutely watering. So if you're sitting on the front row, some spit might come. But I mean, it is just so, so, so good inside and out. And that Oreo cookie thing is not good on the inside at all. It's horrible. In verse six, it says this. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. That particular word, beautiful thing, is the word kolos in in Greek. And it actually means a beautiful thing that comes from the inside of you. 
You are beautiful on the inside and it oozes out on the outside. So when he says that she's done a beautiful thing for me, he is saying that on the inside of her heart, she is pure in this gift. She is given it because of love. She's not given it to gain a position with me. She's given it to me because she loves me and she's preparing me for burial. It is all good intentions. Mary has a great character on the inside of her and that is why she is doing this for me. In other words, she is a Reese peanut butter egg and priest and Judas are Oreo cookie eggs. So if you are going to value Jesus, you are going to have to get your heart right. You have to get your heart right. There's so much sin inside that makes us stink and we try to make it look good on the outside, but on the inside, our insides are just doing this and and we don't know why the pressure's on and, and we've just been struggling and struggling and struggling. The reason you're struggling is you're not surrendered to Jesus. You are loving other things beside of him. You are not thinking about Jesus. You don't love anything more than Jesus. Should never be anything that you love more than him. Nothing. This lady looked around her house. What can I give the person that I love? I can give him this nard. I can give him this because this is valuable. This is the only thing in my house that comes close. And you and I need to love Jesus more than we love our homes, more than we love our cars, more than we love our things, more than we love our vacations, more than we love our activities. We need to love him more, more, more. It says this in uh, Matthew chapter six, Verse 24, it says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The priest could not serve God and money. Judas could not serve God and money. Mary could not serve God and money. And of those three groups of people, Mary is the one that wound up serving God and honoring him with her life because she valued him and she loved him above all else. Do you love Jesus inside that much? Do you love him because of what he has done for you? Do you really love him? Check this out. First John chapter two, verse 15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot love the things of the world and love Jesus. If you love the things in the world and you say you love Jesus, you don't really love him. You just don't. It's either or. I love Jesus. He loves me. And I could care less about anything else. That is the attitude. So the third way that you value Jesus, is this. You think about him, you spend time with him, and you invite him into your home. You invite him into your home. I know that sounds crazy. Why am I inviting Jesus into my home? Isn't he already there? Well, maybe you don't recognize that he's there. 
Jesus Christ should be the center of your house, the center of who your family is. Your children should know that when they go off somewhere and when they come back, that when they come back to your home, there's things that they can't do that is okay out there because you love Jesus and Jesus is in the center of your home. They should know that when they come back to your house, it is a holy sanctified place where Jesus is honored and we watch what we say, we watch what we do, we watch what we watch, we watch our actions because Jesus is in control of our household and to honor him, we must obey him. And so Jesus is the center of your house. Is Jesus the center of your household or something else? See, your kids are going to emulate whatever you have on the inside of your home and what you allow inside of your home. For instance, if you're a person that is given over to anger and you yell at your son all the time, that son isn't learning Jesus. That son is learning anger from you that is inappropriate and he doesn't see Jesus at all. I know we had an anger sermon last week. You can watch that to unpack it. This isn't a contradiction. It's just, okay, it's just you being a flesh person and you're that, okay, there you go. Okay, so anger, kid, following, and he's gonna follow whatever you do in the home. Whatever is at the center of your home is what your children are going to go up and emulate later. That's what they're gonna do. And even if Jesus is the center and they go astray, when they are going astray and doing their things and they have something else at the center of their house, they know that mom and dad has Jesus at the center of their house. They know that. Even while they're doing this, I have done plenty of funerals where family members did not follow God, but they came to the funeral and said, the one good thing about my parents is they always tried to follow Jesus. And they weren't lying. They were actually being truthful because they know. I went on a family vacation. It was a long time ago. Um, just a long time ago. And I um, went on a family vacation with my in-laws and uh, the whole family, you know, relatives there. It's... Um, I love, anyway, it, it was just a lot of people there. And the question came up, can we, can we bring wine in, into the house and, and just have a night where we just, you know, drink, drink some wine and, and watch some TV and, and do that sort of thing? And my father-in-law, who's the patriarch in that particular environment, stepped forward and said, no, we're, we're not doing that. We're not doing that because I have grandkids and my grandkids do not need to be around that. They do not need to see that that is a normal thing to do. Now, I know this is a niffy subject and I know, I know, but I'm telling you, my father-in-law stood and said, nope, we're not going to do that. We have kids and we're just not going to have that stuff around them. My father-in-law reads the Christmas story every Christmas, every Christmas. And at Easter, before they go out to hunt their little Easter eggs, my nieces and my nephews and my children went out to do the Easter eggs. He would tell the Easter story before they went out. 
My father-in-law is always reading his Bible at some level, and it's very natural. He has his Bible right beside his, his chair where he watches the Duke Blue Devils, which is a, you know, a, you know, that's contradictory. But nonetheless, he has his Bible right here and he reads it and his, his grandchildren know it. And from the oldest one, which lives in my home, down to the youngest one, they ask him to read scripture at some point in time during a holiday season. And it's not out of the normal for my father-in-law to be studying scripture when we get there or reading something when we get there. Why? Because Jesus is at the center of his home. And even when his kids left, he has kept it that way. And there is something too, ladies and gentlemen, doing that. There is something that says there is something more valuable than anything else in the entire world, and his name is Jesus. And there's a book that is better than any other book that you can read that would have the answers to your questions that you have, even if you have to dig for them, and that book is the Bible. And that book is Jesus because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why in the world do we not invite Jesus in to dwell in the center of our homes? If you value him, that is exactly what you will do. If you don't value him, whatever you value will be at the center of your home. And if you think a moment, you know what I'm saying is true. It is either Jesus or something else. You cannot love the world and have the world at the center of your home and have Jesus at the center at the same time. Do you value Jesus? If you don't, good job, priest. Good job, Judas. You're on the wrong side. You're on the wrong side. Those three groups sent Jesus to the cross. One of them was saved by it. The other two were condemned by it. And we talk a lot about the grace of the cross and that's absolutely true and the mercy of the cross and that's absolutely true. But the other side of that is that people that reject the cross are condemned by the cross because they did not receive Jesus as their savior. And it's an amazing thing. Not amazing, it's a sad thing. It says in scripture that Judas was one of the 12. Right? But Mary was one of his children. And you can be in church and be one of the members, but not know him. Be one of the members, but not be his child. And if there is nothing else that you take from this today, 
If you're sitting here and you're just one of the members, please receive Jesus as your Savior today and do not delay. It is much better to be his child than to go out of this life as just a member of Farmington Baptist Church. Because let me tell you something, when I stand before Jesus, I can't say, hey, Jesus, um, don't, send, don't throw them in the lake of fire. Um, they were in my church every Sunday, and they listened. They even laughed at my jokes. Please don't send them. I can't do that. I am not your defender when you get to heaven. Jesus is. Accept him today, begin a relationship with him.